HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash speakeasy. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Thanks for, uh, great, great. Doing as best we can, you know. We're coming at you on a Tuesday today. We got a special edition of the Speakeasy because we've got lots and lots of stuff to talk about. We kind of need to do a lot of this stuff on more of a real-time basis. Uh, You know, for the listeners of our show, we normally go live uh, Wednesday afternoons, but we got a lot to talk about. So why don't we jump into it? You know, we've got so many things happening right now with the COVID. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of businesses, uh, a lot of shelter in place, um, you know, it's been postponed even further than we were expecting, but I think we're all kind of expecting it to you know go a little bit further. I know just happened here in California, it got extended to the end of the month uh, where it was supposed to be the third or the sixth or something like that. I can't remember. It doesn't matter anymore because <laughs> it, you just know it's going to be extended, right? Yeah, nothing matters anymore. Welcome to New Earth. Yeah, New Earth. Goodbye, Old Earth. Um, so why don't we get started? Why don't you introduce our guest, Greg? Absolutely. So today from the uh, USBG's National Charity Foundation, we have Kim Hasserud, Um, which first of all, one of the things I know we wanted to talk about, uh, the USBG NCF and the usual uh, US Bartenders Guild two different things, right? Yes, that's correct. Cool. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I know that your, your grant, um, the, the bartender emergency assistance program, that was, that was, um, it sort of reminded me of like the first guy out of the trenches in world war one, uh, like that first week when everything was getting started, like you were the first one out there, like it was showing up on all my feeds anytime, there was some sort of a threat, slack thread at work. It was, oh, like the these folks are out there. They're providing relief and assistance. And um, like the first person out of the trenches, you got, you know, you you did a lot of good work, but you also, um, there was there was a lot of potentially uh, misleading misinformation and some misunderstandings. And uh, let's let's do what we can to clear some of those up today, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to to start. That the, those are two different entities. So they're, they're both nonprofits, but different types of nonprofits. So the USBG is a guild, it's association, it's a 501c6. And their mission is really about the advancement of the professionalism of the bartender. So educational opportunities, chapters across the country. Then we have the charity arm, which is the USBG National Charity Foundation. And that started back in really 2014, but 2015 is when we the programs really started. And it was founded by Bridget Albert from Chicago. I was also one of the, the founding members. And we really started the foundation because, you know, as bartenders ourselves, we knew that a lot of us don't have a big safety net. You know, if a bartender, if something catastrophic happens to a bartender and they can't go into work to earn tips, that's their income. 
And um, unfortunately, you know, some, a lot of them don't have adequate insurance to be able to cover catastrophes like that. And a catastrophe could be anything from, you know, a severe car accident to specific disasters like Hurricane Harvey or the California wildfires where they've lost their homes or they are in the, are being hospitalized and can't go into work. So we wanted to be able to create a program which gave relief to some of those bartenders that, that weren't able to really afford to be, to be out of work. So that's really the intent of what the, the specific fund, the Bartender Emergency Assistance Program, also known as BEEP, really comes from, is really being able to offer emergency assistance to, to bartenders in need. Um, so in addition to, to that fund, we also have the Helen David Relief Fund, which was started by Tony Abuganum. So that gives uh, funds to bartenders who are undergoing like breast cancer treatments and so forth. But um, so those are the two, the two main funds underneath uh, the foundation. And, you know, to, to, to give you some, some, some bigger context, you know, normally under normal circumstances, the process was very manual. You know, we would receive applications and it was one person that was calling the applicant, vetting the application. There was a lot of back and forth between the applicant and uh, the person vetting the application. It was a very manual process and our turnaround time was anywhere like around six weeks. And we had a grants approval committee that met once a month to go over them and, and to award those grants. So that was the process. And so, what, was, what was sort of a minimum grant? Like, a, like, or is there a minimum at that time? I know we're, yeah. again, we're talking about old earth now. We're going to talk yeah. about new earth as we get going, right? Yep. So, so then the grants would range anywhere from, and it was really based on what they requested. So it could be anywhere from a few hundred dollars to a maximum of $2,500. That was like, that was the norm. And, and the average, if you took the average of all of those grants, it was around eighteen hundred dollars. Um, so that that's, was yeah. That's, 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 not, that's, that's not nothing. That's, yeah, yeah, that's quite that's quite a piece of change to help someone out that's in need and in a crisis time. But we're talking about you know uh, normal needs and normal crises where you know it's not all of us at once. Suddenly here, it's all of us, and then you get, I'm certain, the inundation of uh, applicants. Uh, so you said you just did a, you know that few per week, and now how many a week are you are you fielding? Well, I would say that the biggest push was was up in the beginning. So, uh, to, and to, to kind of share some of those numbers with you, like the first, uh, you know, what we went from, you know, t t granting twelve to twenty five grants a, a quarter during that first week, and it was really Jameson that kicked off that big donation with that big announcement, and that was on. March 16th. I know it was like the, the day it was St. Patrick's day or the day before St. Patrick's day when they made that announcement. And within 48 hours, we had 40,000 applications. And then that number doubled after a couple of days and then tripled after about a week and a half. So right now we are over a quarter of a million applications about, um, I know it's over 270,000 applications. So the, the rate in which we're receiving them has, has lessened, you know, again, we got the, we got the bulk of those applications in the, in the first couple of weeks. Um, but I think one thing that we have noticed is that our grant application, you know, went viral. So a lot of employers who didn't even quite understand the intent of our grant was sending it to all of their employees. And then those employees turned around and sent it to their friends and, and so on and so on without really fully understanding what, what the in, intent of our grant was. And I think there's been a lot of some misinformation and, and some disconnects between, you know, we're, we're really out there to help those who really need emergency assistance, who really need it's. And I think some people have interpreted it as being, if I, if I'm a bartender and I've lost my job, I get a grant and it's really intended for those who, who are really in need that need the money to be able to, to pay their rent or, or survive. So people with like existing conditions, pay. people with children to feed. Exactly. Ex I mean, yeah. to, to give you an idea of, of like the, the diverse range of applicants that we've received. I mean, we've received applications from every corner of the country, from every type of bartender. So 
um, you know, from, from North Dakota to Oklahoma, to Maine, to New York city, Oklahoma. to Washington. Yeah. I mean, everywhere and every type of bartender. So, you know, the, the craft cocktail bartender to the golf course bartender, event production bartender, strip club bartender, cruise bartender, ship bartender, the what? Cruise ship bartender, too soon. Cruise ship bartender, right? right. Uh, even, even you know, we we've seen actually quite a few applications from the the person that's been bartending for forty years at their local Rotary Club, you know, or, or VW. So it's really been vast and pretty, wow. pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, you know, yeah. So, and as as a result of get, getting all of those applications, you know, in, in such a fast way it we've had to definitely has scaled up our technology and our volunteer workforce which has been phenomenal i'm super proud of the workforce that we have we've trained nearly 500 people um to help us screen and and vet applications as well as um our technologies behind that too so are these volunteers mostly from the USBG or is it, or just like in the same way that the, it's an open application, can, can anyone help out and volunteer? Or? Um, yes and no. So in the beginning process, we had just screening applications. The first phase of the application and the way we used to do it was on Formstack. And, you know, Formstack is good at collecting data, but it's not good at manipulating data. So what we had to do was take those that first major chunk of, of applications and basically just screen it. So we were just screening just for eligibility and making sure that, you know, there weren't bots or fakes. So that took the biggest workforce is just the screening of those initial applications. Phase two is the vetting of applications, and that's a much smaller group. Um, and those are people that are trusted there. Uh, a lot of chapter leaders are, are helping with this process too. We've able, been able to tap into some of um, the brand workforces like Diageo has given us um, a lot of their sort of on the ground team that aren't working to help us vet those applications. So we've been able to, to, to tap into some of, some of that. That's incredible. It, it is. I feel like the daunting part of this task is with the you know massive number of people applying, and the funds are are granted. You've you've gotten some great uh, uh, donations from from bigger companies, but the funds are are limited. So uh, you know how how difficult is it to do this vetting process when people are like you said, you're getting applications from everyone. Maybe they're you know truly in need, and maybe they're not. But it's still got to be heartbreaking for for you and your team to be able to look at one application and say, I'm sorry, you don't get it because this one over here needs it more. How, how is that going? And is it, is it causing an emotional toll on you and your team? I think, I, th- I think for some people it, it it's built up. I mean, I, I mean, I know I try to, you know, you have to try to compartmentalize and anyone that's in any kind of industry that, that is relief effort. It's hard. It is hard work. There are hard decisions that, that you have to make no way around that. Um, in any kind of, of charity that has relief work. So that is really hard. And I think the hardest part is knowing that, you know, everyone to some degree has, has some sort of need, but some are just greater. You know, I, I heard this analogy and, and I've expanded on it in that, you know, we're, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. You know, some people are on the land looking at the storm, not even really affected by it. There are some people that are in a big boat it's really uncomfortable, but it's not unmanageable. They're going to be fine. And then you have people that are in a rowboat, you know, barely able to keep it afloat, constantly trying to, you know, take the water out. And then you have the people that don't even have a life preserver, <laughs> you know, that, that are out there floating. And, and so to, to really take a look at that and assess need, um, you know, we, we, we've gotten it down, but that, that's, on the application process, that's one of the reasons why we ask so many questions is to help us really uh, narrow down and, and really find where that need is. Um, so, yeah, it's not a not an easy job, but uh, it's one that you know has has become a, a little bit easier. 
as an as an applicant, does everyone get a response? Like, uh, it, it, even if you're not going to get the grant, are they at least getting a response? I feel like some of the agita and anxiety out there that I'm seeing on my social media from people is that they don't feel like they're hearing enough. And again, I know you're completely overwhelmed, but are they? How does that work? So, um, every time someone sends in an application, they absolutely get a response within 72 hours. That's no question. And then there's usually another response three days later. So there is there is definitely communication strategies. I would recommend that any, if anyone has sent in an application and they have not heard from us to, to A, check their junk mail. B, sometimes uh, people aren't aware that they've used a different email address than what they normally have. And so just as a way of checking, check, uh, do a search for beat. B-E-A-P. I do that all the time. It's like I've got my work email, then I've got my mm-hmm. personal email, then I've got my band email. Like I, I can never re- remember which one I sent stuff from. So yeah, check all of them. Yeah, and those those are those are automatically generated too, and then they start to go into different different buckets of communication. Um, I know that you know during this this vetting process because there's so many to get to. Uh, it may be in some cases like a week, maybe two weeks before they hear from us. But um, yeah, but I would say there's definitely communication strategies and, and plans in place to to reach out to all applicants. Great. Um, I think we're, man, there's so much to cover on this and we've already heard a ton of it. Again, this is like, this is very insightful. Uh, like, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, it's, one thing to like see in the media how how much of the economy is taken down by the lack of bars and restaurants be- mm-hmm. <clears throat> being open. Sorry, um, but then I I wish part of me wants the wants the application letters to be like out there in the public for people to understand just how important our industry is, you know, and like to kind of like humanize it because I feel like a lot of times that you know especially on the bar side of it, you know, I know that I've, I've been told that like, Oh, you're just bartender. You, you just like party for, for a job. And I'm like, no, that's, we do this for the community. Like we're part of the community and like, this is just something we're very passionate about doing. And like, we're humans too, you know? And I just feel like there's, do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? Yeah. To, to really put a because, face on the people that, that it's helping. I mean, I, yeah. I, I feel that too, but I, I feel like this in a way, in a strange way that, that we've gotten, we've been able to put a bigger spotlight on, mm-hmm. on bartenders and, and what their roles are. And I hope to continue to do that, to continue to, to raise awareness of what bartenders actually do, because I do think there, there is for a lot of people, I mean, I mean, even, <laughs> I mean, even for me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a consultant and, you know, recently my mom was like, when are you going to get a real job? You know, right? <laughs> for a long time, but um, but yeah. So I do think there there is still that that challenge with people that oh, it's not you know, it's not a it's not a profession, but and I think that's been a big a big change over the past ten years, and that um, more and more people are looking at the role of bartenders as more of an a vocation versus an occupation, right. So, and, and so you. in a strange way, I hope, I hope with the work that we're doing helps to reveal that a little bit more. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, hopeful, I'm hopeful that as we, you know, approach, uh, uh, you know, new earth, um, that, that this kind of opens up the dialogue a little bit more about just, just general inequality in America. Um, and, and, you know, how at the opening of the show today, you mentioned, you know, bartenders live on the edge uh, as far as margin in their lives. And, you know, one, one catastrophe, be it, be it greater, even just kind of small, you know, one 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 car in need of repair, not even a wreck, just just has to go to the shop, could be the tipping point, and that's true of all Americans. Um, you know, they say the statistic of America is that a four hundred dollar surprise bill could be the tipping point to to put people you know uh, into dire straits. And and here we are now with the economy shut down and businesses stopping the flow and money stopping the flow. Hopefully, we, we can get to a place where this this shines a light brighter on the inequality of of what's going on in America in general. Right, right, and I, I hope you know as I would. Think especially in places like New York City, 
you know, your margins are, are much thinner <laughs> than in, <Yeah. laughs> in other, in other places. And, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to a lot of New York city bars and bartenders. And if, if the culture, if there's going to be a culture shift and change to be able to, to be able to, to prioritize employees and what that looks like, you know, without having to have such razor thin margins. Yeah. I'm dealing with it right now. We got approved for the disaster loan for a large chunk of money. But at the same time, we had just paid off our investors after five years and uh, <laughs> I'm ineligible for the stimulus package because on paper I made too much, but really the bar made that and I didn't see any of that. Yeah. So, and I'm in an ineligible for unemployment too, because of this. And I'm still having to pay the government out of my own pocket for what the bar was making. And so like now I've got a loan on top of that. So it's like, there's just like, it's like this crazy snowball effect. Uh, you know, it's, right. it's well, we, we yeah, kind of like kind of power through it and just hopefully, you know, stay yeah, we're positive. Through all that stuff ourselves, <laughs> you know, the, the margins are razor thin and, and, you know, how can we change what's, what's going to happen uh, when, when we are able to go back to business, what is business going to look like? Right. You know, we're, we're looking to places that have already kind of gone through this. Uh, you know, we, we think of like our friends in China who've gone through this already. They're, they're ahead of us. They're, they're in the future already. So how can we model ourselves after them and make it work in a, in the American style of hospitality? How can we make it work in, in, in a tight space like New York city? You know, uh, when we, when we have restrictions yeah. that are going to limit us to possibly a quarter of our capacity, well, that, that puts my bar to, you know, and based on space that puts my bar to, to six people in the room at a time when normally we're used to having 40 in there. So that's not a quarter, that's, you know, a, a 16th. So it's going to be your, a, a, your a bar just went from uh, 240 square feet to 120. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy, <laughs> um, a crazy, uh, you know, adjustment, but we're going to have to do it. Uh, you know, uh, life finds a way as it were. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, let's take a break real fast here from our sponsors. We're going to come back and keep talking to Kim Hasarud from, uh, the USBG national charity foundation, uh, uh, more about what's going on uh, with those funds getting them allocated. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's. But since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go slash speakeasy. Welcome back to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. We are in the virtual studio uh, on our way to New Earth, hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in the studio today, we have Kim Hasarud from the USBG. And we've been talking about the, the Cherry Foundation um, before the show. I, I kind of want to like just take a pause since we just took a break from, from the episode. Um we're talking about some really heavy stuff. I'd kind of like to shift gears just a little bit. What are you making at home for yourself? Like, what? You, like, what's what's your cocktail food like situation? Like, how how are you? Because you're working your ass off, and we all thank you very much for doing this. By the way, it's a very hard job to uh, to to handle. How are you decompressing during this time, or are you? Yeah, are you getting self care? Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been hard because even on the weekends, I feel like, okay, I need to unplug. I try to do that on Sundays, binge watch a little bit of Netflix. <laughs> um, so, and I, it's actually really helpful when, when I can 
binge watch or even play like a video game. So it just it's mind numbing a little bit and it just takes my mind elsewhere, which is awesome. My um so my son has uh <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of Wild. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Love that game. It's one to like go deep in. Um so you know finding kind of little outlets like that that like I can just veg and just my brain goes elsewhere really helps a lot. But we also try to, you know, do things and, and get outside um as do well you, do you have to like schedule around your son playing the game or is it one of these things where like he goes to bed and then you like sneak down late at night and turn the yeah. nintendo on <laughs> you know right now he's he's um he's kind of taken a break from nintendo switch and has gone to uh roblox i don't know if you guys have kids and are into that but it's a it's a platform where there's like thousands of different games and they're like pixelated they kind of look like kind of look like the Minecraft characters. Oh, cool. <laughs> you, can, you can do different things. So he, that, that's his, that's what he's into now. So nice. So uh, to clarify here, the like super advanced Nintendo games are now being played by us old people. The kids are back on like the stuff that looks like Dig Dug, right? Like that's where we're at. Yeah. That's exactly right. Excite right. bike. <laughs> that was my favorite. Nice. I found out my uh, one of my good friends and neighbors uh, has a kiln, so I I'm gonna start making copitas and firing them in the kiln. And uh, yeah, I'm just like just trying to figure out any way to stay busy. <laughs> like I've been I'm getting in shape. I've been riding my bike a lot more, and uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's I you know I we've kind of joked around on the show and just around our friends a lot lately about you know. Where like what's the first place you're gonna go to like when you when we get through all this and you know there's been a lot of funny responses like I just whatever the closest bar is or like I would go to a you know a TGI Fridays if it were open <laughs> you know like it doesn't matter but I it's I I've been really digging like seeing um, a lot of people working on art and like kind of getting like into more like family stuff and like cooking and so they're you know it's again trying to stay positive through these things and like kind of kind of honing some skills and crafts and and mm-hmm. also building relationships in ways that we hadn't before or maybe like kind of like slipped off of so there's there's some good things i just wanted to like touch a little bit on that for for a moment kim just to uh yeah to I, like, I, I hand, hand formed and hand formed and kilned copitas by damon bolte this sounds like a, a raffle opportunity to raise money for yourself in the bar Oh, maybe. Hmm. I love it. Maybe yeah. you could find somebody with some some mezcal connections, Greg Benson. <laughs> I, th- I think I might know a few people. I'll spin through my Rolodex and see what I can find. And then, then we can auction them off for the USBG NCF. There we go. We're all tied in. Yeah. Oh, there you go. This wasn't supposed to be a plug for my uh, for my hobbies, but yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> All so right, Kim, other than yeah. uh, cur- currently, it seems that we can all see uh, that the U.S. Uh, BG uh, Charity Foundation receives a lot of cool donations and um, uh, monies from 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 all over the place. Uh, we're seeing it, but how did how did you generate monies before? How did how did you uh, fund the grants that you were giving away before? Um, and it was all it was all donations. Every, every penny was, uh, from donations from various companies and and organizations. And again, the, the need wasn't as great as it is now. So the, the, the fundraising aspect, um, wasn't, uh, as great as it is now, but, um, yeah, it was all funded from, uh, individual, everything from individual donations to company donations. And, and keep in mind too, that a lot of our, Deep grants in the past were usually disaster specific. So, for example, right before COVID nineteen happened, we had the Nashville tornado. So, you had a lot of people in that community that wanted to raise money for specifically for Nashville tornado relief efforts. So, we were able to work with that local community in creating a specific campaign around that. So, we could have local donations or people be able to uh, fund their donations specifically for that campaign that would go to relief efforts for people that needed it for, for that specific disaster. Yeah. So we've done I'm, it with Hurricane I'm, Harvey too. 
And if you sure. So, so I'm just asking. I mean, it's, uh, it's not largely important, I guess. But I just so what you, you do like a pancake breakfast. You throw a party. You have a band. Like, a, how do you generate these funds? You know, normally it was just it was just straight cash donations, and often let's I mean let's just take Nashville as an example. They would you know may, might be doing some local fundraisers that would come into this campaign. So that, and that could really vary, but as far as on a national level, those were usually all pretty straightforward contributions. Right. And now are you using the sort of strength of the USBG uh, logo uh, to, are you reaching out to, to maybe the bigger brands? Like, you know, Jameson came forward to you, but are you reaching out to, I don't know, Jack Daniels or Tito's or anybody like that? A lot of them have, have come forward. We do have a, a task force within the foundation that's like big donors. So we are putting together plans. Um, and you know, what's interesting too, is that, you know, you had a lot, quite a few brands come forward with some donations, but now they're coming back around and wanting to give another donation, but maybe in more creative ways. So coming up with, Hey, uh, we'll do matching funds if, you know, so just, just coming up with other creative ways to be able to, to contribute versus just a straight donation. So that's kind of the, the second phase of fundraising because we have to keep the, the fundraising coming in to, to be able to, to meet all the need out there. Um, we, we project by the end of the month, we would have already given out about a million and a half in, um, in grants so far, but that's going to go pretty quickly now that we're, finally at the place where we're running on all four cylinders and have like the, the vetting team that we have, that's going to happen much faster. So, you know, it's, it's up to us also to, uh, you know, try to come up with some creative ways to get, keep the fundraising coming in. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. Because as, as people settle into, you know, uh, this, it's not normal as people kind of settle into whatever we're doing now, instead of normal, I'm sure you know, the, the novelty of springing forward and saying like, oh yeah, the, I, I want to give is um, uh, falling off a little bit as it often does. Like, you know, when in disasters, you see a huge outpouring of initial relief and then the trick is keeping it in the public eye and keeping, you know, making sure that people are aware like, hey, it's, it's the problem isn't gone. It's just not new anymore, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. I've, I have kind of a, a hard question for you um, that I want to ask because I, in the initial days of this crisis, that St. Patrick's Day week, I actually put in for a grant of my own from the USBG NCF because, you know, the Titanic was down and we're all just figuring, like swimming through the chaos and grasping at whatever pieces of flotsam that we could. And yours was the biggest, most visible lifeboat out there. And I think also it had the advantage of if you're in our industry, you know, it's it's a friendly face. It's not just applying for a government loan. It's applying to like, hey, these the, these are my people. They know what I'm going through. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a few weeks later, actually this uh, a couple weeks ago, um, now that I've gotten so my, you know, I've gotten my stimulus check, I've gotten a few other things worked out. I went on and I withdrew my application because I realized I didn't need it anymore. But what would you say to someone who threw in an application at the beginning of this crisis and is now kind of looking around and evaluating their circumstances and wondering if they should push forward or if they should pull their application out so that someone else who has greater need could get that money? And that's a great question. When someone enters into phase two, we do ask them that question. We say, you know, you've been moving forward on to, to phase two and uh, basically asking them to assess their need and if they would like to rescind their application or if they would like to move forward. So we are seeing an attrition rate on that and, and some drop off. But it's interesting because I think we're, we're seeing two things happen. One is like you said, we're seeing the stimulus checks come in, we're seeing unemployment kick in where someone doesn't have the same need that they have, and so they're they're dropping off. But on the flip side of that, we're also seeing people whose situation is changing and evolving over time to be more dire. Maybe they weren't eligible for, for unemployment, and 
maybe before when they sent the application in the week that they lost their job. Now it's four weeks later. You know, now it's going to be coming on six weeks later where now they're in default. You know, now they are behind and they can't pay their bills and they have food need and their need is, is getting more dire. So we're, we're predicting that that will, that will continue to happen too, that both of those things will continue to happen. So we'll, so you're, so, um, so your volunteers, are you guys processing a lot of people who are saying, um, you know, Hey, thank, thank you for being there. I appreciate that, but I'm, you know, I've, I've stabilized myself enough. So I'm willing to, uh, pull out of this process. Cause I mean, it's not, it's not a bottomless well, like none of these aid programs that are out there are truly bottomless fonts of money. Cause that doesn't exist. Right. So, yeah, so we are seeing and, and asking if they if they're in a different situation and want to rescind their application. So we are seeing we are seeing that happen. Um, but again, we're seeing the opposite happen too, where situations are are becoming more dire. And you know we we think that probably in another few weeks, when we do eventually run out of um, funding for this, is that that will also be that will give us, another sort of stick to go out to for, for, for brands and other companies as well for support. Hey, we have, you know, a thousand more people that have been approved for grants. Could you give this much to, so we can give grants to these people? Eventually, I think that's what it will come down to um, once that funding runs out. But you had mentioned earlier that uh, the average grant that you were giving out um, before uh, was around a, uh, uh, Eighteen hundred dollars, I think you said. Uh, has that number changed based on the high demand? Has that number had to lower itself? Yes, absolutely. So now our grants now are anywhere from one hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars, and that's based on need too. So um, yeah, we we absolutely had to had to change that. And also, you know, in in prior circumstances, I mean, we had people that literally lost their homes or could not go into work. And this is more of an unemployment crisis, which, you know, again, some people, and, and, and this grant is really intended to supplement federal assistance and, and other means that people are getting some, some help uh, to be able to offset some of their bills or help, you know, give them some cushion and breathing room for them to figure out their next steps. What would you say uh, to the listener who is thinking about but has yet to apply? Are there any sort of like specific uh, guidelines or rules or, or just general tips? Yes, you, you, I you would, have? yeah, please, please go to our website and check out our FAQs. We have a pretty extensive list. Uh, we actually have different FAQs. We have an FAQs for people that are filling out the application. And it walks you through like the very specific documents that, that we need. So please read those carefully. Um, the a number of incomplete applications that we've received has been pretty enormous. And I would even go as far as to say a lot of the regrets emails that have gone out have really been due to we have incomplete information or we don't have enough, we don't have sufficient evidence. Um, a lot of people just did an autofill, you know, when, when they're filling it out and didn't take the time to really read through the documentation that, that we need to be able to assess need and assess eligibility. So on our website, we have, it's pretty detailed of, of what the eligibility requirements are, what the select selection criteria is, and all of the specific documentation that we need, you know, here's what, here's acceptable proof. Here's not acceptable proof. So that's pretty clearly lined out. I would really highly encourage people to, to check that out before sending out an application. We also have an FAQs for people who have already filled out an application. And to your question earlier, people that haven't heard back from us, some steps that they can do um, to, to check on that. So that's another separate FAQs. And then we have FAQs for our campaign in general. But yeah, that would be, my, that would be my biggest tip to people. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. You know, it's, we're just we're just here saying it again through uh, through a big uh, megaphone. Um, what is the the website, by the way? It's um, usbgfoundation.org. Right, not to be confused again with USBG because they have their own website. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would assume that that one directs people over because this surely happened, right? Sure. Yeah, and we but you know even on the USBG website, there's a list of you know another thing that we try to do 
in addition to grant is give people resources. So we've created a collection of resources, uh, also links to Tobin Ellis's hospitality relief dashboard, which gives yep, he was, a on, the show, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Great episode. Awesome. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, enlisting, giving people some resources to tap into their local, you know, unemployment offices and other charities and other organizations that are offering relief efforts too. I mean, ours is pretty specific to, to bartenders and, and we define how we define a bartender um, according to our eligibility requirements, but there are other organizations that are also giving to, you know, front of house and back of house employees in that realm too. Um, I see in my notes here, you've got a little something about a health and wellness initiative. That's uh, that's important to me, uh, especially during times like this, because my uh, mental health, I think that's the wellness of health and wellness, um, is, uh, is, is kind of always on uh, a rocky footing. And how I deal with it typically is I, I keep myself really, really busy. Suddenly now a big chunk of my life, which is going to work, uh, is taken away. What, uh, what sort of uh, um, opportunities or, 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 or you know, initiatives have you created regarding health so and wellness? Oh, th- well, thanks for asking. We have a, a health and wellness committee and we've been coming up with some uh, initiatives. So the USBG in general has done like wellness Wednesdays where they post various uh, on their Facebook page on uh, various resources and outlets. So the health and wellness committee is really amplifying that. And we're also seeking out additional resources. We've identified health and wellness in three different buckets, mental health, physical health, and financial health. So we're currently seeking content in those three buckets that we could help amplify those voices. So if you are interested, Sother, in writing a blog for us, we'd, we'd, we'd be interested in, in putting it out there. Uh, absolutely. I'm in. Great. I think that's a really important way to, to categorize health, right? Especially right now, because I mean, it's, you know, just thinking of health as your physical health is a pretty outdated way of looking at it. I'm glad that in the past few years, I've seen mental health move a lot more into the conversation as well. Um, but I think financial health is is particularly important. I mean, like I said, I'm more stable now than I was this time a month ago. But you know, you can be in tip top shape and meditate for 20 minutes every day and have a really great relationship with your therapist. But if you have a huge financial cloud hanging over your head and you don't know how you're going to make rent or how you're going to pay your insurance premiums or anything like that. That's a big, going to be a big drag on the other two aspects of your health as well. So I, I think that's a really smart way of categorizing it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think especially for, for bartenders and a lot of them are very social people, you know, they're, they like to be around other people. That's part of their job, hospitality. And when they're, stuck in a house with those stresses already and, you know, and have a, have a shelf of alcohol behind them, you know, that's, that's a, it's a recipe for disaster right there. So definitely trying to, to come up and give them resources and other, another outlets to, to be able to, to deal with that. I think, you know, knock on wood, but um, I think this is, you know, uh, an unhealthy situation for in all three of those categories for bartenders in particular. Absolutely. I mean, it's one one thing that this crisis has kind of exposed. We've talked about this uh, on the show before is the fact that it's coming into very distressing relief that so few of our elected officials have had blue collar jobs, which I think is part of a reason why the rollout to help people who work hourly and who work for tips and have businesses that operate on a razor thin margin. I think the reason that the rollout for that has been so awful and it's been so easy for monstrous corporations to get grants is because people who are in positions of power don't understand, you know, a lot of those, those issues. Like they've, it's, it's very clear that financial health has never really been a thing that's been at the front of their brains, but it's also heartwarming to see um, how much our community has rallied to to take care of itself and to take care of its, uh, each other and to step up and and fill those gaps and make sure that everyone um, stays healthy. I I have one more question. I know we're getting towards the end of uh, this episode, but I wanted to ask if someone has sent in an application and their circumstances have changed, or for whatever reason they got a um, 
a regrets email from you, what would what would you advise them to do? So if if their situation has changed for the better? Uh, either way, if their situation has changed for the better or if it's changed for the worse. So I would say if they've gotten a, a, a regret email, and, and again, the mass majority of those were sent because of incomplete applications, um, I would invite them to reapply. There's absolutely no restriction on, on that whatsoever. So if you feel like, A, you haven't provided us an information or you need to reapply because your situation has changed, by all means, reapply, please. <laughs> and, and, and you really feel like, uh, and you're, you know, your situation is, is you need it, then absolutely um, apply. If you feel like your situation has changed where you no longer need it, there is a way to do that through those communications where you can rescind your application. Great. And if, and if, like you said, because we're all people who love being social and we love a mission and there's been a big outpouring of support of people uh, looking to say, Hey, what, what can I do to help? Like I'm used to, I, I like doing stuff and uh, being productive you know, I'm used to filling 50, 60 hours a week with it, sometimes more for us in some cases, cough, cough, Souther. Um, what go. would, what would, is there an opportunity for people to, to join your core of volunteers reading these grants? Yeah, I, th- I think we're, we're actually at uh, capacity right now with, with the vetting application process. However, on, I would say a local community level, and this is the advantage we have with, with chapters, is that we're able to, to mobilize and we're able to connect people that way with those local efforts. So, you know, we have so many amazing things happening in local communities, you know, restaurants during furlough, doing furlough kitchens and um, them partnering with local charities, which we highly recommend. And I think there's a lot of opportunities that we can help connect people with that on, on a local level. Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Tobin and his uh, hospitality dashboard. There's lots of opportunities there. I've, I've gone and taken a look. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, you can go to that website and get a lot of information on how to get help. Uh, you can also go to that website to get a lot of information on how to give help. Uh, it's, you know, it's there to help you know how to best help. Indeed. Um, well, I think that's that. That's about uh, all the time we have for the speakeasy today. Unless Kim, there's anything you wanna you wanna say at the very end um, before we let you get back to uh, all your hard work and Breath of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for for having me on and, and shedding a light on this. And you know, I, I you know the beacon at the the light at the end of the tunnel that I see is that you know, the hospitality industry has always thrived, you know, and and normally it's been like a a recession proof industry. And I think people really want to get back to that. You know, people really want to go back to those restaurants and bars and and so forth. So I, I definitely see our industry surviving and, and even thriving beyond this. It just might take a little while to get there. Yeah. Agreed. Sure. The example that I keep seeing or using myself is, you know, we keep talking about how this relates uh, pretty closely to the Spanish flu of 1912, uh, you know, and then, you know, we did bounce back. We had the roaring 20s. Uh, granted, it was eight years later. Hopefully we can do it a little quicker. But, you know, the the opportunity to come back and come back stronger than before is obviously there. Um, but, you know, it's going to take some uh, rolling up of sleeves and, and some doing doing some heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, well, Kim, if, if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or, or reach out or follow the progress of uh, the USBG NCF, what would be the best way for them to do that? So I would say uh, on our dashboard, on the, the homepage, that's updated every day. So we have you know the amount of application screens, donors, funds. So all of that is updated if they want that kind of information, data. Um, if you want to reach out to, to me directly, you can. Uh, my email is uh, khasarud at usbg.org. Great. And, uh, you're on all, uh, you guys are on the, the socials too, as well. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I know I definitely follow you guys on Instagram. Yes. So, uh, we're on USBG. Our handle is USBG NCF on, um, and just also note every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 PM Eastern, I do a live Instagram update, kind of giving you some good news and giving everyone 
uh, so the most recent updates and also answering questions that people submit earlier. Great. Yeah, that's outstanding. That, that's outstanding. I have one sort of follow-up question to an earlier one. Um, you know, you mentioned that there are definitely different ways we can get involved with our community and things like that. But those of us that are maybe a little bit more fortunate, our listeners um, uh, who aren't in, in any kind of dire straits but have some extra money but maybe don't have the, the resources or time to, to donate towards uh, being active, uh, on the website or anywhere, is there a button to simply donate? Oh, absolutely. In fact, if you just go right on our usbg.org page, just right there, front and center, are a lot of our resources, and there's a donate button. So, you yeah. know, and, and because our grants are anywhere from 150 to $500, you know, every little bit counts, whether it's 25 bucks, $50, whatever, whatever you can do. Yeah, outstanding. Right on. Well, great. Uh, Kim, well, it's, it's been awesome having you on the show today. It's been very eye-opening. Um, you know, I know we've heard a lot about like these different charitable donations and activity happening. So it's been really great to actually hear about the details of what's what's actually going on with the USBG Foundation. So thanks for being on the show today and enlightening us. Yeah, and 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 thanks for all the hard work that you and your your teams are doing. And uh, you know, I know it's uh, it's probably not very easy work, um, but it's very meaningful and impactful, and you're doing great service to the community. Well, thank, thanks so much, Sother and, and Greg and Damon. Um, and again, with the, with our health and wellness initiative, I'd, I'd love to invite you guys to, I mean, because you guys are on the front lines, uh, encourage you to contribute to uh, with a blog entry or so forth, because you guys are experiencing it a little ahead of us from other parts of the country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I have plenty of time. Palpitas <laughs> <laughs> well, can wait. Yeah, exactly. Community, damn it. Yeah, for now we'll just drink straight from the bottle. Uh, yeah, yeah, drink straight from the bottle, and you know you can do some writing while things are in the kiln. It's yeah, not a fast exactly. Exactly. Well, cool. Uh, well, I think that sounds pretty good, Damon. Why don't you take us out? Yeah, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and please go to usbgfoundation.org to help out in any way you can. Uh, thanks again to Kim Hasrud. Uh, I can't wait to actually hang around with you in person and, and have a copita of Mezcal when those are finally finished. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Well, until next week or until tomorrow, actually, we're, <laughs> we're doing as many shows as we can during this yeah, time. Time is, time is meaningless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be safe and cheers y'all. Cheers guys. Thank cheers, you so much. Bye. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sun in the air. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.